Good morning. Take your Bible and turn to Galatians. Surprise. Father, we just bless you this morning. Praise you for your care for us, for your goodness. It far exceeds our troubles, extends beyond our fears and our difficulties. You're good to us. Thank you for the freedom that you have provided for us. Show us this morning what we're free from. Show us the extent of the freedom that you've bought in our life. That we can walk in the joy and the peace of your presence and your love for us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to just speak to our hearts this morning. That you be honored. In Jesus' name. All right, take out a pencil and a piece of paper. If you don't have one out already. I uh, try to remember to ask questions at the end and or ask you for questions. So this morning I decided to give you some questions. And that way you can't say I don't have any questions. And I've got three questions here that I want you to write down. And at the end, you can answer them. All right? Here's the first question. What word or phrase stands out as relevant to your life? As I share this morning, what word or phrase stands out as relevant to your life? Okay? Second, since studying Galatians, have you identified any fluent any influence of the law in your life? Since studying Galatians, have you identified any influence of law in your life? Not necessarily the law of Moses, but just law that you've created, law that you've formed in your life. As the Lord revealed to you, boy, you're under the law about this thing. And then third, what did you see or hear that you didn't know before out of what's shared? Okay. What did you see or hear that you didn't see or hear or that you didn't know before we shared? All right. Those clear? All right. I want to go back to something that I started or that I stated before in order to give context to what Paul is writing. All right. I'm going to look in verse one. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. All right, I want to go back. There was a statement that I made a couple of Sundays ago. 
It basically went like this. Up until this time, Christ's followers, or Christians that they came to be called as, or Christianity, was just considered as one of many sects, S-E-C-T-S, or splinter groups of Judaism. There were a lot of them. Let me read that again. Up until this time, Christ's followers, or Christianity, was just considered as one of many sects, splinter groups, within the context of Judaism. Now, let me show you why that's relevant. This is why the Roman officials didn't want to deal with the Jesus problem. All the way back in the Gospels. Remember whenever they brought Jesus to the Roman officials and they basically said, this is your problem. This is a Jewish problem. They saw it and considered a Jewish problem to be handled internally. Only after they lied about Jesus to the Romans and then they felt threatened for their position, did they step in to do anything about it. In fact, in John 18, 31, whenever they brought Jesus to Pilate, the first thing Pilate said was, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. This is not something that affects me. This is not something that's outside of Judaism. This is just another division in Judaism, and it's your problem, it's your issue, you deal with it because it's part of what you're doing. And their response, they reveal their heart right away because they said, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. So they had an agenda to begin with. They were trying to get the Romans to kill Jesus because they wanted him eliminated. This attitude and belief carries over into Acts and how they dealt with the Christians in Acts. Time and again, they try to get the Romans involved. The Jews would go and try to get the Romans involved. And their posture basically was, this is your problem. You deal with it. Even late, whenever they brought Paul in, they said, this is your problem. This is a Jewish problem. Because they saw Christianity as just a kind of an offshoot, but still under the covering of Judaism. All right? It was not a standalone issue. Well, about this time, three events took place that served to sever Christianity from Judaism and establish it on its own. All right? There were three events, there are probably more, but there were three that we're going to sh- share with you this morning. There are three events that took place that served to sever that tie between Judaism and the law and the traditions of Moses and establish as something free and clear of all of that influence. All right? The first thing that happened was the conversion of Paul. No one had any way of knowing what a huge impact the conversion of Paul would have, not only on the Jewish world, but on the, on the, uh, Gentile world as well. Before conversion, as Saul, he had all the credentials to challenge this new belief. 
all right? He was the golden boy of Judaism. He wrote it this way in Philippians. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, I'm found blameless. Talk about cocky. I mean, talk about assured. I've got the wherewithal to be blameless when it comes to the law. And then in Galatians 1.14, he says down here, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral ancestral, uh, traditions. It all served, all of that stuff served him to have standing within Judaism and surpass many of his contemporaries, which is one goal of religion. One of the goal of religion is to be more religious than the next guy. And so we constantly compare ourselves with ourselves. Well, get that. Why does he do that? And that's one of the perspectives that comes with a religious system. We want to compare ourselves with others. But now, all of a sudden, all of that is gone. All right? It's stripped from Paul. All of this before his conversion, he had the wherewithal, and he was carrying out what was in his heart to get rid of this, to put this thing down that was challenging what he had given his life for. And now that's gone. Now, after the conversion, he would have been the seemingly perfect one to go to the Jews and incorporate Jesus into their practice. He would be able to handle every legal argument. He would be able to talk about the ancestors. He would be able to look at the prophecy. He would be able to look at all of the history of the Bible and all of the history that the Israeli, that the Jewish nation had been through and say, look, point to them and say, this is the Messiah. This is the one. Include him in what you're doing. He tried repeatedly to do that, but the father kept interrupting that and saying, I have called you to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. He wanted them to come to the Lord. He wanted them to know the Lord. He would have been the practical one. You would think, okay, uh, here's Peter. He's this rough cut fisherman. You know, we'll just send him to the Gentiles. And here's, here's Paul. Here's this slick, uh, religious professional and we'll send him to the Jews. And God says, eh, Reversed it, sent this rough fisherman to the educated Jews and sent this educated Jew to the rough pagan Gentiles. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because in weakness, his power is manifested. And they would have been weak in both of those arenas Paul thought Gentiles weren't even human. They were like dogs. And Paul and God says, I love them. I want you to love them. And I want you to share me with them. Both worlds were shaken as a result of Paul's conversion. The Jews found out 
that just because they were God's chosen people, they weren't exclusive. You got to get a hold of that. All your life, you've been told you're it. You're the only one. You're the, God chose you. He picked you and you're the only one that can be righteous. You're the only one that can have eternal life. You're it. And now Paul comes along and says, yeah, you were chosen, but you're not exclusive. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons God chose you is so that you could bring redemption to the Gentiles. And they missed that. Their world was shattered. Not only was the Jewish world shattered, the Gentile world was shattered. Here all along, they had believed they were dogs. They had believed they were nothing. They had believed they had no right to any kind of spiritual reality. And all of a sudden, they discovered that they can be right with God without having to become a Jew. Think that didn't stir them up? Both of them. Paul's conversion and subsequent call to the Gentiles served to move Christianity from the ties it was believed to have with the Judaism. It began to sever those because now here this prime candidate is just stripped out of that environment. One of the first things that happened to serve that, one of the first things is Paul's conversion. Second thing that happened, you may have never put together, is this. Look with me in Acts chapter 10. I told you you needed to have Acts with Galatians. Once you see Acts chapter 10, once you look in verse, uh, yeah, let's see. Let's start Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter, God calls Peter, and he sends him down to Antioch, which was a bedhouse for Gentiles. And he sends him down there, and you know the story. He he blinds him, and and uh, and he uh, was he did he blind him? Yeah. And God sent someone to deliver him, give him sight, and he's speaking to the Gentiles. And it says in verse forty-four, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all these who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Peter goes down there and God shows up. And I want to tell you something. There is nothing that can wreck a planned meeting like God showing up. And boy, Peter had it planned, had it all figured out. He's going to go down there and get these guys to convert to Judaism, if anything, at best. And he goes down there, and while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on him just like they did in Jerusalem. And he looks at that, and he's astonished. And all these Jews that came with him are stunned and astonished. And they challenge people, Peter. And then in verse 47, he says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Well, Peter goes back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hotbed for Judaism. I mean, it's where everything had taken place. It was the quote-unquote headquarters for Judaism. It was the capital. It was the center. So Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and he tells these guys, you're not going to believe what happened. Just like the Spirit fell on us, the Spirit fell on these Gentiles down there. 
And these guys were also stunned. You mean God is now dwelling in dogs? Not just the chosen ones? And they were all astonished. And then in verse 19, it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Look at this. Speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. They still didn't buy it. When they left, they went and they declared the gospel, we're going to the Jews. We've got to tell the Jews about the good news. Gentiles, that's God's thing. He can work that out. But we're still committed to the Jews coming to to hear the gospel. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch. Remember that city, Antioch. And began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Some of them left and went to other cities. These guys went into Antioch, the Gentile hotbed. And they go in there, and they're preaching the gospel, and God shows up and reveals himself, and they come to know the Lord. Word of this gets back to Jerusalem, verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So they say, man, we've heard about this stuff down there in Antioch, and we need to check it out. Peter's been down there. God did this great thing. We're still suspicious about it. These guys went down there. The men that came out from here went down there. They report this great thing. We need to send Barnabas and get him to check it out, come back and let us know what's going on. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Okay, so now here's the here's the Jewish Christians in, in Jerusalem, and they're kind of concerned about this deal in Antioch. So they send Barnabas down there, and I... I imagine the scenario went something like this. Barnabas, you go down there, check it out, and come back and let us know what really is going on. All right? So they send Barnabas. Barnabas goes down there, looks at it. He rejoices. Not only that, but it seems that more believers, more people became believers through Barnabas while he was there. But now watch what Barnabas did. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. He didn't go back to Jerusalem. He didn't feel the need to go back there. He went to find Saul, who was in Tarsus. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The severance continues. Not only did it start when Paul came to know the Lord and forsook all of that that he was indoctrinated with, but now then, Barnabas, they send him down there to come back and report, he don't come back. He goes and finds Saul, Paul, and they come into Antioch, and they stay there, what did it say? For an entire year, they met with the church, and it was here that they were called Christians. Now, Verse 27, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. 
This took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. Judea was a region. What city was in Judea? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This very city that had just sent Barnabas down there to check it out to make sure they were legitimate. Now that church takes up an offering to send back to the churches in in Judea, including Jerusalem, to help them during the famine that's been going on. And they did this, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Peter ministers to the Gentiles in Antioch. They receive the Holy Spirit. Church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to investigate. They always had trouble accepting the message of grace. Right? The influence in Jerusalem was so strong in the Jewish world that even the Jewish Christians had trouble embracing the completeness of the Spirit of God falling on the Gentiles. One guy caught it at least. Actually, two guys caught it. One guy caught it, Barnabas. Because he goes down there and he goes to Antioch and he says, this is awesome, guys. This is wonderful. I'm going to go get Paul and we're going to stay here and minister to these guys. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. Instead of reporting back to Jerusalem, they returned and ministered there for a year. And from this point on, Antioch, not Jerusalem, became the center point for what God was doing in establishing the church free and clear from the Jewish influence. The focus changes. Barnabas didn't think enough to even go back and tell him. Later on, he went with Paul, but that was for a different reason. This is the place where they were first called Christians. All three of Paul's journeys originated in Antioch. We hear the missionary journeys of Paul, one, two, and three. They all started here. They didn't start in Jerusalem. The first one, he was directly sent out from the church in Antioch. They were ministering to the Lord, and the Lord said, set apart somebody. And they picked Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, to go do that. And it was Antioch that took the offering for the churches in Jerusalem. While years later, years later, all the way over up into Acts 22, Jerusalem Christian Jews are still having trouble accepting the message of faith, the message of grace. Paul accounts of him being in Jerusalem and the Lord coming to Paul and saying, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. They just never saw it. And the fact that Barnabas left Jerusalem, went to Antioch, stayed there, got Paul, they ministered there. They were first called Christians there. The journeys all originated there. They took up the offering for the churches. And all of these helped sever that connection to say, we're not accountable to you guys anymore. We are accountable to the Lordship of Christ. And there's another event that took place to set apart Christians from Judaism. Now listen to me. I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. Unless you were Jewish before you met Christ, 
Judaism is not your heritage. Okay? Unless you were Jewish, before you met Christ, Judaism is not your heritage. You're not of the lineage of Jerusalem because it was a Jewish influence there. You and I are of the lineage of Antioch because we were Gentiles. Our heritage is not Judaism. Our heritage is what? Christ. It's Jesus. It's Christ alone is our heritage. All right, that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. This was the coup de grace. This was the thing that said once and for all, what we're talking about is not under the influence of Judaism. This is the straw that broke the camel's back, and it was the writing of Galatians. If there was any questions before that Christianity was completely free from Judaism, Galatians would lay those questions to rest because Paul addressed it directly, clearly, no mixture in it, no ifs, ands, or buts. The message of grace was Paul's message from the beginning of his conversion. Even in Acts chapter 13, when he was at another town called Pisidium Antioch, and he makes the declaration in Acts 13, verse 38, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone believes who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Nothing else can free you from the law of Moses but Christ, Paul says. And he's saying in Christ, you are free from that influence. You are free from that law. But his most compelling message was in the book of Galatians. I'm going to just read some of them through you. I'm just going to skim through them quickly. I went through and underlined in red, le- in red letters, in red line ink, all the instances where Paul clearly and distinctly declared the severance is here. Chapter 2, verse 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Pretty clear in it. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by Faith in the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That's pretty clear. If you can get righteous by keeping the law, there's no reason for Jesus to die. Chapter 3, verse 6, Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Verse 11, no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, you can't mix the two. 
The law is not of faith, and faith is not of the law. He who practices them shall live in them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 17, what am I saying? What I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previous ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. God made a promise to Abraham. It was a promise of faith. It was a promise to believe God and he would be counted righteousness. The law didn't come to 430 years later. And he said that law does not negate the covenant God made with Abraham, which was a faith. I mean, he's strong. Verse 18, for if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Verse 20, mediator is not one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scriptures shut us up, everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus may be given to those who believe. Verse 26, we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, we belong to Christ. You are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to Moses. Jews were saying we're Abraham's descendants by bloodline. They could trace it by bloodline all the way back to Abraham. Jesus put that to rest that it credited them with righteousness. It wasn't the bloodline. It was the trust. It was the faith. It was the belief that Abraham exercised that makes us part of Abraham's ancestry. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as son. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son, and a son than an heir through God. Chapter 5, verse 2, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Verse 6, for Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Listen. Eight, I just quoted some of the verses, but there are eight different ways in Galatians. Eight different ways through declaration, through illustration, and example that Paul makes the case for the grace of Christ over against the law. All of this to make clear that the law is not relevant in the life of believers. All right, three things, those three things serve to make that severance. The conversion of Paul, Barnabas going to Antioch, and the book of Galatians seal the deal. All this is background to chapter 1, verse 11 in Galatians. And this is why it is significant. Look in verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren... 
that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. First thing I want you to notice about this is that this revelation that Paul had came directly from the Spirit of God. He was busy about destroying the very revelation God had given him. And God interrupts him with this revelation. I believe it was necessary to come directly from God because Paul was smart enough that if any man would have come to him with this revelation, he could have argued him down. That nah, man, yeah, but look at this, look at that. Look. So it took this revelation from the Father to reveal to him the message of grace. The person with a revelation is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. The person with a revelation is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Before God got Tanya's attention, I'm going to assume she had a lot of arguments, a lot of reasons. Karis and Brandon have a revelation. No need to argue. Here's the revelation. Here's Jesus has come to reveal himself to you and love you. Answer the questions. But they're not at the mercy of arguments because you have the revelation. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to pause and consider the significance of this statement. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, just let that set for a minute. Here's this Jew of Jews. Here's this guy who's got orders in his pocket to go catch Christians and either put them in jail and ultimately kill them. God nails him with a revelation of who he is. And all bets are off. Now listen to me. If not for that revelation, we might still be observing Jewish customs and trying to keep the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God. Think about that. If not for that revelation, we might still be trying to keep the traditions of our ancestors and might still be trying to obey the law of Moses in order to be right with God. Now, I don't know about you, but just the thought, here's what that means. Just the thought of adult circumcision says, I ain't in. And that's what would have taken place. If we would bet Christ, accepted Christ as an adult, part of that is circumcision. I'm not for that. We would still be trying to keep it. 
Next, he makes a personal, practical declaration of God's grace. Look what he says in verse 15. But when God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Paul gives a personal, practical example of grace by saying, all the things I did did not disqualify me from God fulfilling his purpose in me. Think about that. He called him, he says, set apart from my mother's wombs. That means he did all this stuff, killing Christians, persecuting the church, after there's already a call of God on his life to preach the message to the Gentiles. And his actions didn't disqualify him. I mean, you would think if he was God, you forfeited it, bud. I had this great call on your life. I had this great purpose in your life. And you blew it by going out and trying to kill the church. But God in his grace still picked him and used him. What makes us think anything we can do can disqualify us or have done? His grace is truly greater than our sin. Then he refers back to his conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. I want you to look there just for a second. One point in here I want you to see. Acts chapter 9. Saul was breathing, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This was the beginning of the revelation. Saul, this is not some organization you're persecuting. This is me. This is not just a group of people who's disturbed the Jewish world with some new teaching. This is me. Why are you persecuting me? The mystery of God is Christ, and the mystery of Christ is the church, his body made up of both Jew and Gentile. Jesus did not make the distinction from the Christians he was persecuting and himself. This is me you are attacking. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up and enter the city. It'll be told you what you must do. I so pray we will learn to see the church through those eyes. Wow. Not an organization. It's not just a group of people getting together. It is Christ. This is not some organization that I'm criticizing, it is Christ. It's not just 
group of people I am rejecting. This is Christ. This is not some renegade person that I'm judging. This is Christ. And you could just as easy say, Paul, why are you slandering me? Why are you gossiping about me? Why are you choosing not to forgive? I am the church. I am Christ. What a revelation. What a what a what what an earth-shaking exposure to the heart of God that says, Yes, you guys were chosen, but you weren't elite. I chose you in order that you might bring these guys in to the kingdom of God. And here was Paul and these other guys. We're it. We're the only ones. And it shattered their world. Paul didn't go right into the ministry. If you'll count up, he spent probably 15, 16 years out in the desert allowing God to make real this revelation to him of what he was and who he was and the message of grace. All right? Here are your questions. What word or phrase stands out as relevant to your life? Anybody? What word or phrase shared today stands out? Tom? Hang on, let me get your microphone so they can hear you back there. It's just the one you highlighted at the last, Paul, why are you persecuting me? I never heard it that way. It just changes everything. I mean, it really does for me. It's him. It's not me. It's not that church over there. It's it's him. It's Christ. We are him. He is us. I mean, would I say to Christ's face, what I would say about Michael behind his back? That's Christ. Do I speak well of Christ? The body? Hello. Anyone else? Word or phrase? Stood out. There's a second one. Since studying Galatians, have you identified any influence of the law in your life? Now, let me make a practical thing of that. Have you discovered things in your life that you believe you have to do in order to be forgiven? That's law. That's law. Have you discovered that there's things in your life that you have to do in order to be in God's presence? That's law. So are there anything in your life, anything that you've identified, any influence of law in your life? Anyone? Um, I've discovered that there are some uh, issues in my life that, um, I wrote it down. I'm not sure I know how to deal with those problems if I don't put myself under the law. Okay. 
I don't know what to do with them now. That's a great, great question. Well, it doesn't okay. feel good. Okay. I mean, we're going to address that at some point. I don't have a law to tell me what to do. What's to just keep me from going nuts? <laughs> All right, Laura. Well, on the first question, actually, I have learned this last couple of weeks is, you know, thoughts produce emotions, emotions produce actions. But before the thought is the spirit. So I have to stay in the spirit. I have to be in the spirit. I have to know the spirit. I have to hear the spirit. Um, I can take thoughts captive because I'm tormented, literally. But if I don't have that spirit, then the the battle is not going to be won in the thoughts. And the second is um, what's... What I have influenced, I have influenced that I need, which is a lie, I need to make people feel comfortable. I will share a truth, but I want to make sure you're comfortable hearing it, which is not my job, not my job. It's just to share Christ, Mm -hmm. and he takes care of how you hear it or how you process it. Um, and that sort, but I like people to be comfortable. That's good. That's good. How much we do for approval? How much do we compromise for approval? Want people to like us. Anyone else? All right. Third question. What did you see or hear that you didn't know before today? What was new to you today? Or light was shed on something old that made it more real to you, more aware. Here's Holly. So um, I had heard about Paul, I mean, since vacation Bible school, right? And I knew this story. I mean, Old and New Testament at, you know, Dallas Baptist, but... um, that's, I'm sorry, it's a joke. But um, today when you were sharing about that, just like a light bulb went off for me where it said, um, I can imagine when I had the creator of the universe standing right in front of me, right? He murdered Christians. He did all of these things. He could easily sit there with guilt, with shame, all of these things that would have held him back. It would have me. I mean, I just sat there and had a hard time captivating my thoughts, my emotions. Am I good enough? I can't go. And what did you say? Is he? I mean, a legacy now from the decision that he made. To me, that stood out. That was huge, and I did not. I've not realized that before. Yeah, you wonder if maybe it didn't take seventeen years being exposed to the revelation of grace to get over what he had done before. And that's the answer. Folks, Forgetting, trying to forget things in the past is not the way to deal with that stuff. The way to deal with it is see it through the grace of God. See it through the eyes of grace, that God still loves you and it doesn't disqualify you. 
Not anyone else? I'm going to try to do this every week, okay? Make it a little more practical. At least give it an opportunity to be practical.